suicide prevention and mental health. That is what we're going to be talking about here on Let Fear Bounce today. Hello, everyone. This is Kim Langling. I am your host. I'm also an author, freelance writer, public speaker, and of course, your host for Let Fear Bounce. Today, my guest is Larry Sprung. He is coming to us from New York State in the United States. He is also a board member of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Now, folks, this is a great conversation that I had with this gentleman. So make sure you've got your cup of coffee, you've got your favorite chair, and you are sitting back, relaxed, and ready to listen to the show. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. So glad you could be with us today. Today, I have with me a wonderful guest here. I've been so looking forward to speaking with him. His name is Larry Sprung. He's a CFP. He is the founder of Midland Financial Incorporated. He leads planning and asset management services in addition to focusing on business development. Now, what I'm having here to him here with me today to speak on is outside of the office. One of Larry's greatest passions is raising awareness for mental health. He serves on the National Board of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and sits on their financial and investment committees as well. Him and his wife, Denise, they have, between the two of them, they have raised more than $1.5 million for the organization through the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. And the fund was created created at AFSP in memory of Larry's brother-in-law. So Larry, thank you so much for being with me on Let Fear Bounce. And I really, truly have been looking forward to having you on to speak about this important topic that so many still consider taboo, but I feel we really need to get the word out there so folks don't feel like they're left in the darkness and they're certainly not alone. Yeah, Kim. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. I, I love the idea of this podcast. I love the name. I think it's great. And uh, I agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, you know, something that I've put on my mission plate, if you will, since I lost my brother-in-law, my wife, Denise's brother back in 2004, was uh, we made a mission that we were not going to let him go quietly. And we were going to tell everybody we knew and could about his story and hopefully shed some of that darkness, bring out some light and show that there is hope out there for others who may be struggling. And I, I appreciate so much what you and your wife, Denise, are doing and have been doing for quite some time now. It's so needed. It really is truly needed. I, as a veteran myself um, and a found, co-founder of a nonprofit that assists veterans in need, I, have, I have, have personal experience dealing with and working with family members and those who feel that it's, they feel that they've reached the end of their rope or they're, it's just not worth them being on this planet anymore. And that's heartbreaking to see. And I can only imagine, I have not been in your shoes, but I can only imagine what you and your family went through at the loss of your brother-in-law. Is, is his story something that you would like to share with us today? Oh yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, I share it very regularly because I think it's important that people who are in positions like my family or have somebody suffering or who had uh, died by suicide share their story because others find hope in that and know and can learn that there is other options and there is help out there. So, you know, the the shortened version, I guess, is my brother-in-law suffered from bipolar disorder and he had a very difficult time uh, finding the right people to talk to, the right medication, 
And at one point, uh, probably in, I think it was April prior to his passing, uh, he was hospitalized. And, you know, he was hospitalized during a time, it was uh, over a holiday weekend, and he was placed on a floor of folks, they basically consolidated a couple of floors. So he was placed on a floor with folks that were really far worse than him, uh, you know, from mental standpoint, schizophrenic, et cetera, um, psychotic even. And I remember visiting him in that situation and he looked at all of us, the family and said, I am not gonna end up like that. And, you know, that was his view of where he was going. And he used to wake up every day because, you know, as people, we have a hard time understanding what people who are suffering from a mental disorder or mental illness are really going through. Because unlike my mom who suffered from breast cancer and ultimately passed away, it was easy to see she was sick and suffering because weight loss, hair loss, you know, you could definitely sure. tell there's something wrong. My brother-in-law was, you know, 27 years old, buff guy, went to the gym every day, uh, dressed up in a Superman outfit and went out to the boardy barn in the Hamptons on the weekend. He was the life of the party. No, nobody could tell the difference. And, you know, we used to say to him all the time, you know, what's the deal? And he'd say, you know, Larry, it feels like when I wake up in the morning, I have 103 fever and I have the flu you know, my body aches, my head hurts. It was almost like he had this, this flu-like, uh, you know, symptoms attacking him. And he said, it's very difficult. And he always had this sense, you know, he had this sense that he was running out of time. And uh, unfortunately, for whatever reason, he did not see the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, ended up dying by suicide in September of uh, 2004. And essentially, just to give the listeners an idea of, you know, how we reacted to that, you know, as a family, we, we, we started learning a lot more about mental illness at that point and suicide and suicide prevention. And it was something that I really didn't, you know, I, I don't know that it really dawned on me early on that somebody who was mentally ill ultimately could die from that. Um, you know, that was probably the naive me. And I've learned uh, a lot since then and know that that's quite often a result and a very difficult one. And um, we decided that we wanted to do, do something about it. So there were a couple of things. One is uh, we wanted to tell his story so that other families uh, could find hope and maybe find some of that light and understand, create a dialogue about it so that there wasn't a stigma attached to it. We wanted to raise money for an organization we didn't know where or who. Uh, ultimately, we ended up finding the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, which was a, you know, a great choice. Uh, they're probably the leader in this space. Uh, and essentially, we ended up raising money for about 10 years through a golf outing that we did. Uh, we raised a good part of that money through that route. And ultimately, that uh, took its course. And we then shifted. Uh, my wife uh, is very involved. She runs a book blog uh, where she got involved with a lot of authors who uh, are in the romance community. Long story short is we have about 40 authors uh, every May for Mental Health Awareness Month that donate a portion of their proceeds from their book sales in that month to the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. Uh, so that's how we picked up the fundraising from there. And that community, the romance author community is unbelievably supportive. 
Uh, they're a great group of people and we love working with them and we love the fact that they've formed this partnership. So, you know, I, I think to kind of bring a full circle where we started, where it was like this dark thing that nobody really talked about now, 16, 17 years later, you know, we still have a lot of work to do, but at the same time, the conversation is happening a lot more. And I think that the conversation is happening a lot more because number one, people are talking about it more. Uh, number two, you're seeing a lot of celebrities, athletes, people who, you know, for whatever reason, people look up to, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but we look up to them and they're talking about their own mental struggles. Um, you know, you have Michael Phelps, who's come out and spoken about his struggles. We've recently had football players uh, talk about it. On my podcast, The Midland Money Mindset, we had uh, NFL uh, uh, defensive back Elijah Holder from the Denver Broncos, who for my cleats, my cause through the NFL wore cleats uh, highlighting AFSP. So it's in the conversation. And I think that that's helping people and helping them find hopefully the route that they need to get to, to get the help they need. I think it is absolutely wonderful where you started and where you are at today. Um, and I was surprised when you said that your, your wife, Denise, um, has a, a blog or is she an author herself? No, she's not an author. She has a blog. It's called Shh, Mom's Reading. Um, and um, she is an avid uh, reader. And, uh, you know, I think it comes down to, I don't remember how many years ago she was approached by an author. Uh, this is how it was like formulated. The author asked her and said, hey, I'm writing a book. Would you mind if I donated a portion of, my pro of the proceeds of the book to your brother's uh, memorial fund. I was like, yeah, sure. And essentially a couple other authors saw that she was doing this and it kind of took on a life of its own. And now we have anywhere between 30 to 40 authors on any given year, um, you know, New York Times best, best selling authors, USA Today, that are partaking in this event. Uh, and again, we do it for the entire month of May. The author uh, basically, you know, uh, will uh, commit to donating a portion of their proceeds. And then we, you know, during the month, uh, my wife will highlight different books, different authors to help drive their sales for the month. And ultimately, you know, we've been pretty successful in raising a good amount of money from that community. They're, they're unbelievably generous uh, and, and giving community. That is awesome. And the more you're talking about her, I'm thinking, boy, I have to have her on the show too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, I'm sure she'd be willing to do it for sure. I, I'm an author myself. And right. uh, so, yeah, I would love to connect with her. We could talk about that more later. <laughs> sure. Um, but what you, yeah, between your wife and you, um, it's just amazing what, what you've done and continue, continue to do, because obviously it is a mission and a passion of yours. And I, I take notes while folks are talking. And you had mentioned at one point your brother had said, I don't want to end up like that. And he was talking about those folks on, on the floor in the hospital that he was in that were much worse off than him. Was that a red flag to anybody in your family? Oh, 100%. I mean, we knew, we, you know, we, we knew that um, things were not necessarily going to get better unless we could find him the right, uh, the right care. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just the focus that, you know, there was this 
vision that that was the way he was going to end up and there wasn't necessarily this opportunity to get better. And I think that's one of the problems with people who are facing mental illness, even more so 17 years ago than today. Sure. Uh, you know, today, I think we've seen some examples where people have an issue, are suffering, they're able to go get some assistance or and or help, and they're successful in doing that. Um, 17 years ago, I don't know that there were that many examples that people could look up to and actually uh, see that coming to fruition, which made it you know, far more difficult. Right, right. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. We are, um, we're a much, mo much more open society now, I believe. But back then, uh, we were talking off mic, um, our families, you know, how we're raised, like my parents and my grandparents. Now, my grandfather, which I didn't know this until I was old enough to understand, he had taken his own life when my mother was 19. That was literally never spoken of. We just didn't have a grandpa, mm -hmm. you know, and growing up, we weren't real clear on why, just that he had passed away. Um, and it wasn't until years later, till I was a young adult that I actually found out, I just flat out asked my grandma, hey, how come we don't know anything about grandpa? And she didn't want to talk about it. And then my mom finally told me, but even the way my mom explained it, it was like two sentences and done and we won't discuss it again. Right. So that's, it's a, you know, I, I do see that as a generational thing, but I'm so glad now that there are, you know, folks like you said, you know, people like us, and then you've got the folks that are famous that people look up to and see, they have a much wider audience and much bigger influence that they're actually out there now speaking about it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible thing to to see and to watch someone struggle so hard. And there's nothing we can do. We can notice the struggle and help guide them and direct them into the right place. But sometimes it's so very hard, especially if you're a family member or a friend, knowing that you can't physically help this person. Now, you had mentioned also uh, earlier that your brother-in-law felt as if he was running out of time. Yeah. Did, do you know, did he ever explain what that meant or is that something he actually said or? Oh, that was something he a hundred percent said in, in mm -hmm. those words. I, I remember exactly where we were. We were at my house. We were uh, planting a tree in the backyard and we were just having a conversation. And he looked at me and said, you know, I feel like I'm running out of time. And I, and I looked at him and I said, you know, why do you feel that way? I said, you know, you have a family that's supporting you. We're going to give you all the resources. He had an employer that was very supportive. Uh, the employer actually was one of the co-sponsors of the golf outing for those 10 years in Track here on Long Island. Uh, he had an employer that was very supportive. Um, you know, if he needed to take a leave of absence, he could. You know, he was a single guy. He moved back home. So, you know, he had everything that he necessarily needed. So, you know, for me, it was easy for me. Well, what do you mean? What does that mean? And he really couldn't put a finger on it other than it was a, a it was a feeling that he felt, you know, deep inside. And, you know, I think what you said earlier, you know, there, there are things that we can do and there think, there's just so far we can go. But I think the important piece is that if we notice somebody who is struggling, if we notice somebody that's having issues, and it may be simple things, it, it may be something that is as simple as a change in behavior 
you know, that you notice over a, a short period of time. It may be, you know, they're doing weird things that are out of their normal character. You know, those are things that you have to uh, step up and you have to say something and address it. You can't just brush it off as something that, oh, they're okay. They're just acting a little, you know, funky today or, you know, a little weird. I think it's our obligation to say something, try to help them, steer them in the right direction. And, you know, that's one of the things that another positive that's come out of this is because I've been so vocal about it and my wife has, uh, we've become somewhat de facto resources for folks here and folks who know us through other people and through social media land. And, you know, I'd like to say, and I, I know for a fact that we've successfully helped people uh, save loved ones or even themselves get help needed. Um, so the point is, you know, we're, we're a long ways off from the person who said to me, I feel like I'm running out of time uh, because Quite frankly, at that point, I wasn't knowledgeable enough to, I knew that there were issues, of course, and I tried to, we tried as great as we could to get him the help and care that he needs. Uh, but I think, you know, knowing what we know now, we may have handled things differently, but I think we did the best we could at that time. And now we're using that for good to help other families and get them in the right direction and help them, uh, you know, get help for the, either themselves or the family member in need. And just, you know, what an amazing impact you're having on so many and probably many that you're not even aware of. Yeah, I mean, listen, my kids, too, you know, you talked about the story about what, you know, with your grandfather, uh, with my kids, I have a uh, now soon to be 15 and soon to be 18 year old. Uh, you know, my brother-in-law passed away when my oldest was 18 months old. So he has, you know, very little memory of him. And my younger guy never met him, unfortunately. But we talk about him often and we're very open about, uh, you know, how he passed. And when they were young, it was, hey, Uncle Keithy had a, um, a disease of the brain uh, that caused him to pass. And then as they got older, we expounded on that. Um, but I'm happy to say now my kids have embraced the importance of mental health and identifying these things. Just the other day, my older son uh, brought up to my wife about a, a student that he was aware of that is having mental struggles that literally this student put together a slideshow for their parents uh, about their life that had other implications there. And my son stepped in. Uh, and is trying to get some assistance for this individual. So as much as we thought we were doing the right thing years ago by brushing it under the, uh, the, the mat, so to speak, and not having these conversations, I think, and I would argue now, knowing what I've seen and know now, that actually having those conversations is far more helpful to everybody. Uh, and that's probably a prime example of uh, you know, how that help uh, comes about. That's a wonderful example. And um, obviously you're having a wonderful impact on your children. That kudos, kudos to you and your wife for doing that. I, uh, as you were talking, another story um, had come to mind when I was in high school. So this was a while ago. I won't completely date myself, but it was a while ago. <laughs> for me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as a teenager, I had a very dear friend, very dear friend. And um, she lived in a very volatile household. And that's probably the nicest way to put it. And she tried numerous times to commit suicide. And as a teenager, I had no idea what to do with that, especially, I'll just say it, over 30 years ago. 
and didn't know where to turn. And those I did turn to, the adults who I thought I should be turning to, I did. They told me that's a family issue and I really need to stay out of it and keep my mouth shut. And the adults wouldn't do anything because that was a quote unquote family issue. Now to see my best friend end up in the hospital, not once, not twice, but three times due to attempted suicide, to me, that's a community issue now. Mm-hmm. And I felt that way then, but as a teenager, I didn't know how to express it the right way. I didn't have any resources or background. I was just angry that the adults that were in charge weren't changing it, weren't helping her, weren't getting her the help that she needed. Um, you know, and looking back, gosh, just thinking about it, I get a little edgy thinking about it still all these years later. Right. She, you know, she, she eventually did pass away. Um, and it makes me, you know, angry that that, that should never happen. That mm-hmm. should never happen. Um, it, I, to me, even back then I would get so, you know, I had full of righteous indignation over it, you know, at 15 years old, why aren't the adults supposed to do anything and why are they telling me to shut up? So it's so nice to see this next generation, you know, and especially with you and your wife, how you're so open and honest about it with your kids as, you know, appropriately as they age. Uh, It's just, it's wonderful to see because it was so difficult for me to to watch my friend struggle. I was 15. I had no idea how to help her. No idea whatsoever. Um, And it's so good to hear that, you know, your son, he's actually, he noticed it. He recognized it, said, hey, I think I need to do something. And he's also got the adults around him that will listen and help him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry for your loss and for that, uh, you know, experience. Like you said, I think 30 years ago was a lot different also Mm -hmm. than today, but still no excuse. Um, You know, we do have for folks that are in need, there's a lot of resources, uh, you know, as as you mentioned in the opening, I sit on the National Board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which we're the leader in that space. And there are a lot of resources at AFSP.org. Uh, that will help spur these conversations and help steer people uh, where to go. We don't do counseling or things like that, but we, you know, we want to help those that are either affected by suicide or, you know, um, suffering from mental illness. There are a lot of resources there. One of one of the things that AFSP sponsored, which is, you know, akin to what you just discussed, and. Uh, through my brother-in-law's fund, we heavily sponsored it as well, was what's called the Seize the Awkward campaign, which was a campaign and still is a campaign that's predominantly on social media, Instagram, uh, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, We've seen uh, some smattering of commercials also on various uh, TV stations. And the whole idea behind it is it's really geared to teenagers. And it's all about seizing the awkward because a lot of times, unlike you, where you stood up and you went to an adult and said, hey, there's an issue here with my friend, I need help. There's a lot of kids out there that feel themselves that they feel this awkwardness that, hey, I can't bring this up with my friend because I don't want to ruin the relationship. And the whole idea behind this campaign is, hey, you'd rather see your friend alive and well and risk the friendship and say something and hopefully get them help uh, than not say anything at all and potentially lose that friendship 
because you didn't say anything. So we're all about seizing the awkward. It's not a comfortable thing in a lot of cases, not comfortable for kids, a lot of cases, not comfortable for adults, but ultimately having those conversations, I think save lives. And, uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not in my brother-in-law's case, but going forward, I think we save many, many more. I love that seize the awkward and then it's geared toward teens. Um, it's just, that's wonderful. And that's, I certainly want to share when this, when this episode is uploaded, we will share all of those links with you folks um, in the description. So you can look into all of those resources yourself as if you don't need them, you may know someone in your life that does. Um, so that's wonderful. And there's, sure. like, you have, you're a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of resources and um, I would absolutely love to have you back on again to talk a little bit more about all of this, um, simply because it's needed. It is, it's needed to get out there. And I so appreciate you being on and sharing your story, your personal story about your brother-in-law. Um, what you and your wife are doing is absolutely amazing. It it's, uh, makes my heart feel good that there are folks out there like you, you're teaming up and you are making a big impact, a huge impact not just on people, but it's on their worlds, you know, and I'm off, I've been asked, well, Kim, do you think you can change the world? And I say, no, I can't change the world, but I can change one person's world. Mm -hmm. And I think that you and your wife are doing just that and doing an amazing job of it. So, wow. Major applause to both of you. You guys are awesome. 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 <laughs> so I would love to have you on again, if you're open sure. to that. And I definitely want to connect with your wife and chit chat more about her mission and with her authors. That sounds like an another, another amazing story to be sharing. And uh, so how I want to ask you to leave our listeners with uh, one tip that they can take away with them today, that if they see someone that's struggling, what it is that they can do. Yeah, I think that that's a, a, a great thing and a great point to leave everybody with. And uh, I'll also give them one more resource. So I, I think everybody should, number one, they should have the, uh, the and we'll put this in the notes, the if you can, the you know, the number for the suicide prevention hotline, that is, you know, 100%, some, everybody should have that number available because you never know when you're going to need to use it. And you can use that number to call in, whether it's for yourself or if it's for somebody that you think is at risk and you don't know how to handle it uh, because they will give you advice and guidance in that regard also. Uh, in addition to that, I would also always suggest, and every local area is different. Obviously, I know the ones in my local area, but you should know, you know if you have a local crisis center in your area, you should know that number too. Again, you know, this may not be for you, but at the same time, you may encounter somebody that needs help. And a lot of us, most of us, unless you've gone through the experience I've gone through or you've gone through and, you, you know, you're kind of in this world, you really don't know what resources or how to effectively help people. And those are two things I think that are very easy to do, uh, very easy to have. And, you know, you call up and honestly say, I have a friend who's going through this. What should I do? What can I do? What can legally be done? And they, they're armed with all those resources. And then lastly, you know, if this is something that's passion, a passion of yours, AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, has chapters in every single state. 
in the US. Uh, there are groups, some states have multiple chapters, and it's a very easy way to get involved with the you know, mental health and suicide prevention community um, and help out and raise awareness and help uh, you know, change the world on a, on a greater scale. So I think those three things are very helpful and it'll give most of your listeners the tools that they would need uh, if they are encountered with that type of situation. Thank you so much for that. And would you be able to, would you be able to share right now the suicide prevention hotline number? Uh, yeah, sure. It is 1-800-273-8255. So it's 800-273-8255. Or if you don't want to use the phone and dial it, you could always text TALK, T-A-L-K, to the number 741741. Um, and hopefully this all will get easier sooner as they uh, you know, unleash a national suicide prevention number, which uh, should be coming soon. You know, I wanted to share, and I, I started chuckling because as you started saying the number, I'm sitting here saying it with you, uh, the 800-273-8255. If you press one after that, that is the veteran crisis hotline. So same number, same main number, but if you press one for any veterans or family members of veterans out there listening, it is 1-800-273-8255 and then press one and that gets you to the veteran crisis hotline. Thank you so much. You've been a true blessing to me today. Kim, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. I really appreciate you and I appreciate being here. I appreciate your service. And, uh, you know, we didn't get to talk much about it, but, uh, you know, I have a special place in my heart uh, for veterans. My wife's grandfather was a vet and uh, he is the MIT of Midland, Mitchell. Uh, so he's the namesake of the firm. So veterans are very important to us. And I thank you and all your listeners that uh, have served the, uh, this great country. I, I appreciate you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's, thank you very much. That's humbling. All right. You have a wonderful day, Larry. Thank you.